Hello and welcome to another episode of Crash. This is episode 348, recorded on Wednesday the 9th of December 2020 at 23.55.32. Yes, it has been an exceedingly long time since the last episode, yesterday. (laughs) And... Man, I'm totally wrecked. I have been burning the candle at both ends for a couple of days. And I'm just so, so tired. The one piece of good news is that the vaccine and the vaccination program has started. So well done, scientists. It is also a nice... Coincidence that a couple of days ago, I discovered the mission's reinterpretation of their old song that I really like, Tower of Strength, which is dedicated to frontline healthcare workers. And what else can I say in the pre-show section? I don't know, I'm feeling a bit odd. I think it's lack of sleep, or just too much podcasting and too much sitting in front of my computer, editing all this audio. But yeah, it feels a little odd. And also because I'm taping at a slightly later time. Hopefully at a time without so much traffic noise. That's why I'm recording a little later in the evening today. But let's not waste any more time and let's move on to culture. And let me tell you what I've been watching As far as movies go, I have seen two movies recently, and those are part of the Small Axe series of films by director Steve McQueen. I've already talked about Steve McQueen's Mangrove, but I have now also seen the films Red, White and Blue and Alex Wheatle. Red, White and Blue is about Leroy Logan's real life as a black career police officer in the early 80s. And yeah, we've talked about the 80s quite a bit in this show. And that wouldn't have been a great time to be a non-white police officer in the UK. And what was even more incredible is that he became a police officer after a serious assault on his father by the police. And yeah, it was really interesting and really amazing, even if it wasn't set in the 80s and it wasn't about someone breaking into a white institution, it still would have been interesting because Leroy Logan was a scientist and he joined the police late, which is pretty unusual, I think. As usual with these Steve McQueen films, they really get the feeling of the period right, the clothes, the music, uh, things like that. And the person playing Leroy Logan was John Boyega, and his interpretation of that role was brilliant, and it was incendiary. Steve McQueen said in an interview, where did I hear that interview? It was on a podcast. I 
think it might have been the New York Radio Hour. It might have been another one. It wasn't a UK podcast. But anyway, they were interviewing Steve McQueen, and he mentioned that at the time of filming, Boyega was taking part in the Black Lives Matter demonstrations in Hyde Park and implied it might have affected his performance. (sighs) Well, I'd say if it did affect his performance, it did it for the better. Though, you know what? John Boyega's a good actor. I'm not so sure that it did. But I have been accused of being a robot, so maybe I'm wrong. The other film that I saw was entitled Alex Wheatle. And this one worried me as I started to watch it. Because it is about this person's story of growing up in care and then his prison sentence, and it was just so sad, and I just can't deal with stories like that, which is, in fact, the reason that I haven't seen Steve McQueen's most famous film, 12 Years a Slave, (laughs) for that very reason. Fortunately, there was a happy ending, as today, Alex Wheatle is a lauded author of mainly YA fiction, although I think it's gritty YA fiction. Oh, one last thing before we leave Small Axe behind. The one thing that surprised me about Red, White and Blue is that it was so short and I thought maybe I was enjoying it a lot and it was so tense that it just felt shorter. But I looked at the runtime, it definitely was shorter. I believe it was around 80 minutes. Oh, and I've got another bit here in my show notes. Yeah, there's another film that I haven't watched yet in that series, and that's Lover's Rock. I'm not sure that I'm going to watch it. Maybe I will. We'll see. But I can relate a little bit of my own background to you, although my experiences are different to someone from a West Indian background as I am from a Mauritian background. Lover's Rock, from what I've read, is about those house parties in the 70s that were organised because a lot of black people couldn't get into clubs, so they made their own entertainment. By the time I was old enough to go into clubs, I could mostly get into any club I wanted to, mostly, without too much hassle. As a child, though, I do remember my parents hosting a lot of boozy, dancey, loud parties at home. And I know for a fact that those parties really annoyed our neighbours, who, in retrospect, can frankly go screw themselves. And on that cheery note, let's move on to something a bit different. The flight attendant. In The Flight Attendant, Kaylee. Kuoko? I definitely got that name right. Kuoko? Ah, let's just leave it there. Is a flight attendant who gets embroiled in a very tense and non-stop mystery when she wakes up next to her murdered one-night stand. Murdered in a very bloody way. And there are little bits of serious stuff going on about alcohol abuse and not an ideal parental figure. But as far as 
Kaylee Kuoko goes, imagine an amped up version of Penny in The Big Bang Theory. She is drunk a lot and stressed from the ordeal. So much so that she starts to see things. I don't really want to go more into it than that. But it's a light and funny and thrilling, and I'm really enjoying it. And the other thing they do, they do that thing that they did with, oh, what was that film with Leonardo DiCaprio? Catch Me If You Can. And The Thomas Crown Affair. The original one. Probably the remake as well, but they've got that thing where they cut up the screen so you see different things going on in different parts of the screen. It's very retro, it's cool, and because I used to really like flying places and travelling, this really appeals to me. It's got everything, and I think you should check it out, and that's The Flight Attendant. Oh, I'm going to talk about The Mandalorian next. I've got my ginger beer over there, and I've just had the vegan Cornish pasty, which was not that great. But the ginger beer is excellent, and I keep looking at it because I'm a bit thirsty now. Okay, where were we? The Mandalorian. Man, this show is really heating up. We've got other Mandalorians... Then we also had a break-in caper. Then we got Rosario Dawson as Jedi Ahsoka Tano from the animated Star Wars The Clone Wars. She has an amazing opening combat scene in this creepy, petrified forest surrounded by masked guards, and it's really cool. There's a lot of House of Flying Daggers-style fantasy martial arts in the way she's leaping over the buildings and running across the roofs. There are tense standoffs, like you'd have in a film about gunfighters, or samurai films, and yeah, there is incredible samurai and western movie-style cinematography as well. There's a Japanese garden setting, which is a great place for one of the fights. And there is a foe played by Bruce Lee's goddaughter, Diana Lee Inosanto, a real-life stunt person, which is really cool, because I just like the whole Bruce Lee link thing here, because I used to be into martial arts, I kind of still am. Yeah, I do like martial arts. I do like some martial art movies, not as many as I used to watch. But yeah, this stuff is really cool. And when I saw it, I just thought, oh, man, I really miss doing Tai Chi. Uh, I want to go back to doing that. Because it makes you feel like a Jedi. (laughs) Anyway, having Diana Lee Inosanto in that episode is as cool as having Michelle Yeoh in Star Trek Discovery or Zoe Bell in Death Proof. I think there should be more stunt people in actors' roles because sometimes they can act and they can act really well and they can also kick ass. I was thinking of that other guy in Game of Thrones, the guy who plays the Night King. He was also a stuntman. I think he was a master of arms. Yeah, he was combat guy. And he made a really splendid bad guy as well. 
I've drifted off as usual and back to the uh, Ahsoka Tano episode. Although I have not seen any of Star Wars The Clone Wars, I really love Star Wars and I've been around the periphery of a lot of this stuff, so I know kind of what they're talking about. And this, for me, was a good introduction to that character. In that same episode, I loved the combat scene by the village bell as well. That was another thing that was really cool. And there's this bit where Ahsoka lets an enemy trooper go when he drops his weapons and looks fearful. And she has a slight smile on her face, but it's not a cruel smile. And it shows you that she is kind and merciful as well as a bloody wicked ninja. Michael Bean was also in that episode, but he was just this chump playing cannon fodder. What a waste of Michael Bean. Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese, man, I miss you. And, ah, oh, the corporal in Aliens. Doesn't he say, stay frosty? I can't remember. Maybe that was someone else. I'm sure it was Michael Bean, though. Most of all, and most importantly, in the last episode that was broadcast, we finally got the return of Boba Fett. Boba goddamn Fett. The man himself. Just a simple man making his way through the galaxy. You know what? The moment I saw Slave 1, my hackles rose on the back of my neck. It was amazing. And then there was that fantastic combat scene with Boba wielding that Warhammer, highly reminiscent of a Polynesian war club from Tamura Morrison's own Maori culture. And I'm surprised no one else noticed that. The only downside of that episode is the scene where Boba proves his father, Django was, in fact, a Mandalorian foundling, which makes him entitled to the armour, and it makes him a Mandalorian. I wish he was just another nasty bounty hunter who had looted the armour, and every now and then might do something good, but basically he's not a good guy. And they didn't do that. They had to over-explain. On the other hand, I do like that Boba is scarred and his voice gravelly, like Boba from Legends. If you want to read how, according to Legends, Boba Fett escaped the pit, read the story called A Barve Like That, colon, The Tale of the Tale of Boba Fett by J.D. Montgomery. The Tale of the Tale? I don't remember that bit, because I have read this. It's in a book called Tales from Jabba's Palace, published in January 1996 by Bantam Spectra. I remember it was published by Bantam. I remember reading the book. I only remember reading this story because I remember Boba getting out of the pit and sorting himself out. And yeah, I think they over-explained it. Regarding the Mandalorian himself, I really hope that's Pedro in the suit most of the time. I've heard that he has a double. I hope it's just a stunt double. It's not so that he can 
I don't know, bugger off down the beach. The introduction of Grand Admiral Thrawn from Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire books is a good twist. It is a long, long time since I read those. When I say those, I think I've read the first book. I'm not sure how many in the series I've read, but I was a Timothy Zahn fan anyway from his non-Star Wars fiction, and I did read a few of the Legends books. And yeah, it's interesting to have an antagonist who isn't actually evil, but still believes in the Empire. How is that possible? Well, we'll find out. Maybe some of this is explained in that book, but again, that is a long time ago. I also have a confession. I quite shamefully did not know or had forgotten that there was another of Yoda and Grogu's species called Yaddle, visible on the Jedi Council in The Phantom Menace. Shame on me. I cannot remember that. I draw a complete blank. When I heard that that was the case, I looked up the picture, and yeah, there she is, but I can't remember her. So my... That means my knowledge of Star Wars is not complete. <laughs> Finally, the build-up to that rescue job and putting the team together like the Seven Samurai, like the Magnificent Seven, has me rather excited. Well, in my notes it says rabidly excited. And now that I'm saying it, maybe it's just doing a podcast and getting all hyped up to do it. And now I am feeling rabidly excited. And that's The Mandalorian. Yes, I'm watching it and enjoying it. Wish the episodes could be just a bit longer. Like, three hours longer. <laughs> Still on TV, sci-fi TV, and Star Trek Discovery. I just had a couple of things to say about it. First of all, I love that there is a Star Trek show. And there are more shows on the way got to say that right at the beginning so I don't sound too ungrateful. But here it comes. I am sorry, though, that I'm finding Star Trek Discovery largely uninteresting. My problem is the main burn plot is so incredibly boring. It seems like one of those middling episodes of The Next Generation that has just been stretched into a whole season, and I'm not enjoying that. I am enjoying, though, the effects, the beautiful space scenes. All that stuff looks really cool. It's just the main thing that the show's about is just not interesting me. I'll stick it out. Hopefully things will improve. But they haven't really so far. Maybe they could do something with the Empress. Let's talk about technology. I was back on eBay after a few years' absence, which is why I was so <laughs> busy on Monday and had to push the podcast a day later. I was on eBay buying some retro gear, 
It's too early to talk about because a lot can go wrong with old stuff when you buy it and then it gets delivered from a long way away and I don't want to jinx myself before my stuff arrives. I actually have quite a lot of retro hardware stored in boxes, 10 to 20 years old now, and I plan to talk about this stuff on the pod and also on my YouTube channel next year. I'll do some short videos of me unboxing and rummaging through stuff and maybe turning stuff on and chatting a little, but they are YouTube videos are going to be shorter than this podcast. You can expect unboxings, you can expect fire. Well, hopefully not fire. Hopefully, yeah, really, not fire. I hope all my stuff works. What else? Oh, yeah, something really weird happened yesterday. I have, like, a zip cover on the back of my chair. This chair's from Ikea. It's the chair I sit on at the computer, if anyone's curious. It's the Milberget swivel chair in Bombstad Black. I bought it in 2016 for £55, UK, though it's now priced £65. Man, four years, £10 rise, that's a bit much. It's an okay average chair, but that's not what this is really about. Back to that zip cover. I was sitting down at the sofa (laughs) yesterday and the chair was turned around so I could see the zip cover and I don't know, maybe it's OCD, maybe it's just being damn nosy, but I thought, hmm, I wonder what's behind that zip cover. So I went over to the chair and I unzipped it and a screwdriver bit fell out. (laughs) What had happened is back in 2016... I had put the thing together with a screwdriver bit and then I had promptly lost the bit. Now I know where it went. And it was all pointless because underneath that cover, the cover's there not to undo so that you can wash what's underneath. It's there to cover over a tool that will enable you to assemble the chair, which is a bit weird. I mean, why go to that bother? Why just throw it in the box with everything else? I also found a receipt and a fire warning sticker. I'd obviously used that zipped up area to store this stuff. And like I said, there was a little tool. And yeah, so I found my spare screwdriver bit. It's not as if I'm short of any, but it was weird the way it just plopped out and went clung on the floor. And then I had to think back to four years and wonder how that thing got there. It'd be even stranger if I had false teeth and (laughs) a pair of dentures fell out. Or a piece of cheese. Or a dead mouse. No, really, I'm not. I'm not doing what you think I'm doing. I'm not trying to be funny. I just wanted to tell you something a bit unusual that happened to me. And now, as I say it, this proves what COVID-19 has done to us. That is my interesting story of the week. I found a screwdriver bit in the back of a cheap chair. I am in a little bit of a tizzy here because my notes came out of the printer in the wrong order. Great. I've had to do a little bit of chopping and fiddling 
which is really what you don't want to do in the middle of a podcast, but everything is back to normal now. And yeah, let's talk the last topic in the technology section, and that is about Commodore. The Commodore 64, the C64, the Commodore 65, and the Commodore 128. I had a Commodore 64, although when my mum and dad bought one for me, I was already late to the personal computer party. It was ostensibly to help with my education. I was given some maths and I think that was it, some maths cartridges, because my mathematics was particularly horrible. But I never really used it for that. I only really played games with it. On the other hand, it did also teach me a little bit about programming, and so in a way it did help with my education. After my Commodore 64, I spent quite a number of years as a non-techie, I know, I apologise, before jumping back in with a very overpriced Amstrad PC that died years later when it caught fire. That's not a Boris metaphor, that is a real thing that happened. While I still have that Commodore 64 in a state of slightly sad disrepair, should the nostalgia bug me, there are several options. I could repair the machine I have. I think it just needs a power supply and maybe some fiddling with a couple of the keycaps. I could buy one on eBay, although they are pretty expensive nowadays. And actually, while we're on the subject of buying a Commodore 64, if you are trying to jump on that retro bandwagon, I suggest you try and find a Commodore 128. They are just more versatile machines, and they can do more, and they still give you the full Commodore 64 benefits, I believe. Though, do some research yourself. Or... The other option is you can buy a brand new retro machine. Because of retro being so popular, we have the C64, which is a full-size bread box with a nicely set-up emulator, and is a replacement for the Mini that had a non-working keyboard before it. It is more expensive, but it's still good value. And the amazing thing is, with a lot of these machines, is they're cheaper than the originals when we first bought them. Then, there is, finally, <laughs> the new and very expensive Commodore 65. I don't know if you've heard of a machine called the Commodore 65. It was an unreleased prototype. I don't have time to talk about it in this pod, but there's a nice vid from Nostalgia Nerd on YouTube that I suggest you watch. That tells you everything you really need to know about the Commodore 65. But there are plenty of options if you want to get into retro. Don't feel that everyone else has just bought everything on the market and there's nothing left. Actually, going on eBay did make me a bit grumpy because I was thinking that if prices are too high and if people like us bid too high on things then we're just artificially driving that price up 
and taking these machines out of the hands of enthusiasts who will actually use them, rather than collectors who will just put them in a glass box. Or maybe I'm oversimplifying. Maybe we need rich collectors. I'm not sure. Maybe you should tell me. Do we need more rich collectors? I think not. What I've tried to do over the last couple of days while I was buying stuff was not to bid too high and to have a reasonable ceiling. So if I lose something, I lose something and I move on. I don't want to get too serious, but sometimes I think it's almost a moral duty not to turn retro into a business of speculation. Like you have those art ports where people buy works of arts and just put them in there. Irreplaceable, priceless works of art that no one will ever see because they're traded like a commodity. They're just invisible. They're just moving money around. That just makes me angry. And yeah, I've drifted completely. Sorry about that. (laughs) Let's bring it back to the show. And that's it. I have stopped waffling for another episode. And I don't really have anything more to say. Until next time, I hope everything is going okay for you. Feel a bit more positive that this vaccine is out there. And soon we will be out there too. Getting back to work and getting back to doing stuff and seeing people. And that's it. The show that you've just listened to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, or writer Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend or an enemy. I'm not fussy. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. This was episode number 348, recorded on Wednesday, the 9th of December, 2020, but ending on Thursday, the 10th of December, 2020, because we've been going on for that long. And the time at the end of the show is 0045. 25. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye. Oh, what a complete waste of...